It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. This is a Friday afternoon prayer service at the Islamic Center of Asheville. There are close to 200 men and a handful of boys on their knees and elbows, heads bowed, filling nearly every square inch of carpet. Imam Nasser Osta is delivering the khutbah in both Arabic and English, alternating between the two. So brothers and sisters, take care about your tongues, about your thoughts, about your sayings, actions, when you're talking about the people. There is a day. This is The Overlook with Matt Pikin, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. Since Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism are on the rise across the United States. That inspired me to reach out to leaders of the Islamic Center of Asheville and two of Asheville's Jewish synagogues. I'm devoting this week's episodes to those conversations. Today, I speak with Nasser Osta, who moved from Jordan a little over a year ago to become the Imam of the Islamic Center of Asheville. Joining us is longtime center member and community leader Khalid Bashir. People who are literate, who have common sense, who has a little bit of a just heart, who are not biased against Muslims without any reason. If they read about the history of Palestine, if they educate themselves and they look at the events, what's been going on 75 years and how many Palestinians have died and how many Israelis have died, they would come to the right conclusion by themselves. From both the Islamic and Jewish angles, I wanted to understand their local histories and ask how their congregations are processing the war. I also want to learn about any incidents of vocal or violent blowback in their directions and ask about any roles their congregations can play to make differences in Asheville and beyond. I began our conversation by asking about the founding of the Islamic Center of Asheville. Khalid Bashir is first to speak. So the Islamic Center of Asheville has been here in some shape and form since the mid-1980s. But this particular center was built in around 2005. So tell me, how many imams in your time here have been part of this center? Are imams 
brought here from the Middle East regularly? And no, no, no. Most of the time we have had imams from here, but we have had some imams which came and helped us out. But mostly we've been just volunteer imams have been in this center. Give me a sense of what the population is here. How large is your congregation? So we don't keep census. And usually, like this Friday today, this is our biggest congregational prayers once a week on Fridays. And I think we might have 100, 125, 250 families in the Asheville area. But we do catch people from Brevard and from Hendersonville because there is no Islamic center in around the 40, 50 mile radius. Really? So probably the closest might be in like Greenville. Greenville, Johnson City on the west, uh, and then Hickory, maybe. How long have you lived in Asheville? About 23 years. Where did you move here from? Chicago. Chicago. Tell me what was life like for you in your faith in Chicago, and what was it like for you coming to the Appalachian South? I imagine it must have been very different. Obviously, Chicago is more cosmopolitan, bigger place, a lot of Muslims, more culture, more history there. This has been a smaller place, but the smaller places have their advantages too. One is that you get to know everybody. For example, in this center, you know, I know most of the people who come and go, and they're more friendly, more involved. So that's the advantage of a smaller community is that you get to know everybody and you're involved much more than a bigger center where there's just too many people. But I also imagine when you're in a bigger center in a place like Chicago, there are so many more practicing in your faith that you probably feel like you're part of a large community. I would imagine here, and correct me if I'm wrong, there aren't that many practicing the Islamic faith, practicing yeah, Muslims. I mean, that's, that's the biggest difference. If you have more people to know, more people to meet, more people to uh, socialize, which is, could be a challenge in a smaller community like this. So tell me, Imam, coming from Jordan, was this your first assignment, first time being in the United States leading a congregation? Actually, as an imam, as a contract for work, I had been here in America for a visit. I went to Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. I have many friends there, but as a volunteer with them in their mosques there in Memphis. But... I told you, as with the contract, this is the first time, yeah, for me here in America. Were you practicing as Im- as an imam in Jordan? Yes, you actually, were. yes. I used to be as an imam for more than 20 years ago. Wow. Yes. I have a master's degree in Islamic teachings, hmm. yeah, from the universities there in Jordan. I imagine it was a culture shift for you, as well as maybe even a shift in how faith is practiced when you're in Jordan, in the heart of Islamic faith, in the heart of Islamic teachings and practice, what were your biggest adjustments or what were your biggest surprises coming to the United States to lead a a congregation here? What's different? Actually, our belief in Islam is a universe religion. So you can practice your religion everywhere and anywhere and every time. Of course, the practice in Jordan, all the community there, the majority, I'm talking about 99%, they are Muslims, so you can find all practices around you in mosques, in the streets, houses, neighbors, friends, all of these things. Yes, I found this 
this gap to come here, but we still humans. So the humanity you can treat with anyone around you, as neighbors, especially here in Asheville, I feel the good persons, peacefully, environments. So actually my treatments with the people, it's very nice. And in kind, I, I can practice all of my Islamic teachings with free. It's interesting to me. I noticed you were speaking both in Arabic and in English. Obviously, you don't have to do that when you're in Jordan. And yeah. you mentioned that there's mosques everywhere in Jordan. Tell me if I'm wrong in this. When you're in Jordan, your faith is infused in your life all the time. And you have certain prayer times, but you live your life in faith. It has to be somewhat differently than here, where there are prescribed times for prayer, but just general life out in Asheville is just so different. It's not led outwardly by faith. Am I wrong in that? Actually, I'm focusing in my religion here more. Why? Because now it's different. You need to look too much about your practice. Is it right or wrong? You are now... Walking with the habits here or not, especially there's some, many people, they are against your practicing. But it's nice to always looking about your faith and your practice. Is it right or wrong? We have, I think, all of us as a Muslims to look about these things. So it's more related with our mosque, with our Islamic center, with our brothers and sisters here around us to look, to look carefully about your practice. Yeah, because in my country, it's like a habit. Even we are doing all of our practices like a habit. So sometimes you're missing the test. Here, no, you will find even the test because you are knowing you are do your practice and there's many environment. It's not like your Islamic teachings, but as a humanity, it's close. When you mention a test, what do you mean? A test, which means you are trying to looking about your faith in your heart. Is it still or increase or decrease? Why? As I told you, there's many habits around you, many practicing around you. It's not from Islam. Not from Islam. So I still doing my teachings correctly or not. But what is... Uh, one of the best things here to find everything around you didn't push you away from your religion. Mm, okay. Because, as I told you, there's many neighbors. I, alhamdulillah, thanks to God, I found many good relationships with the community here, even from non-Muslims. And uh, this connecting, actually, it's improved my skills in many things here. And this has pushed me forward to catch my religion and my teachings more and more. What Imam is, is saying is that since it is such a different environment, then you have to really safeguard your practices much more than when you are back home because that over there it's a habit. Everything is accordingly. But here there are so many distractions and there are so many other things and possibilities and other things, but you have to really work a little bit harder and you have to strive to do the right things or to practice your religion. Talk about that a little more in terms of safeguarding your practices. What sorts of outside environments or elements challenge your practices? And, and what do you have to safeguard against? 
But safeguard against most of the people are busy with their lives. They are they're not into into their religions, for example. Everybody is busy with life, party, shopping. Their phones, uh, their, the their screens. Phones. Right? I think it's uh, phone is everywhere. <laughs> phone is. But for a person who practices, there are a lot of distractions. There is there's other kind of other cultures. Imam, is that what you were speaking to a little bit that in Jordan, there aren't as many distractions because faith is more central to life there. Is that what you were alluding to? Actually, distractions everywhere. Okay. Even our communities, not all the people actually have the commitment about their religion. There is a lot of distractions. They take them away from their practicing. Their, not all Muslims at what Islam ordered to do. They sometimes or many times leaving their teachings, their practicing from Islam. Here, the distractions, I think, close close, but in another way, in another shape, in another virgin or cubbies. But still, there's many distractions. And this is make me as a Muslim to looking more and more about my faith and even my teachings and practicing in my religion. Now, faith is practiced very individually. It's a very personal thing. You've lived here a long time. We are in a very Christian environment here. Lots of churches, Catholic, Baptist, lots of different elements of the Christian faith. Does that challenge at all living and, and practicing as a Muslim? I, I, I did not find it different. I don't think the churches or, or the Christians are coming and telling us not to practice your religion or, or trying to create obstructions for us. We have not experienced any such thing. I think we are more free to practice. I think it's easy. The 9-11 changed a few things, and then this Palestinian war has changed a few things, and people a little bit more aggressive. But I think it has not reached a level where you feel unsafe on the street or, or at other things. I don't think it has gone there, but will it go there? We don't know. I was going to ask about that. You mentioned 9-11. You alluded to that, and also the current conflict happening in Israel and Gaza. Have you or your congregation reported any sort of anti-Islamic sentiments, anything that's happened within your population here that, that has concerned anybody that have, they've come to you with? I think at individual levels... There were a couple of reports of people saying something, and I don't have the exact details, but there were a few. Not a very common thing. So have you spoken to this in your sermons? Uh, do you call it a sermon, by the way? I want to use the proper term. Is khutbah? Khutbah, yeah. Khutbah. It's a sermon. Yeah, it's khutbah okay. in Arabic. So have you addressed this? Obviously, it's a world conflict. It's happening there, but it affects everybody. Is this something you've talked about in your khutbah? Actually, our sermon, it's not news, it's not uh, social media. Our sermon in Islam, it's really to redirect, to rectify the society, individually or a group or all of the common society for us. So we don't make our sermon, our khutbah, just like a news report. Yeah, just you need to know, blah, 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 blah. No. What we have to do upon all of these things happening around us, Politic, economic, socialist, all of these things. We need to rectify the people. What is the right opinions in Islam, the teachings, the right teachings from Islam that will redirect and rectify all of your behaviors and morals 
with all of these situations. This is actually our turns and our tasks, missions here as a Muslim leader, as an imam. And all of us like this, just if there's some problems and there's some bad actions from somebody or a person, no, come on. You have to rectify your action because it's incorrect or this is correct or go ahead I was, encourage him you just said something that made me think about what you talked about today you talked a lot about don't talk bad yes. about your neighbor what prompted today's sermon or chutbah what prompted that today was there any specific event that happened that inspired this or is this just in general you wanted to talk about it okay as I told you our sermon or our chutbah Actually, it's not about what people want, but about what people need to know. Now we have a lot of things around us, like what our brother said about Palestinian now and everything's around us happening. We're listening from many people, Muslims or non-Muslims, sometimes bad reactions or good reactions. So what we have to do, what we have to say, what is the correct thing must be do. During all of these actions, events around us, this is actually the subject I talked about it this day. Do you consult with other imams and clerics about just how to interpret the Quran in these instances? Or do you really go on your own in your, from what you've learned in your teachings? Actually, as I told you, I'm fresh here in the U.S. I now didn't have this opportunity to talk with other imams, so... The majority of my khutbas from me, I prepare it and I try to put in, inside it what is the important and what is the most important to talk with the people. Around the world, yes, there's many in conference between imams, between scholars to talk about all of the events around the world. This is concern all Muslims around the world, yeah. You said that you've heard talk at least from a few people, maybe, that there might have been some anti-Islamic sentiments, but nothing major that has happened. Have you and your fellow congregants just talked about what's happening and how to respond should there be any larger sentiment about, well, the Islamic community should do this or they should respond a certain way? I think we, at least I, we had a, a session here two weeks ago. We did try to educate. We invited a lot of people, Muslims and non-Muslims, to learn about the plight of the Palestinian people and what's going on. And we also participated in, a lot of people participated in the pro-Palestinian march in downtown. So I think the most important thing for us is not to tell people what's right and wrong, but it's to educate people. People who are literate, who have common sense, who has... uh, a little bit of a just heart, who are not biased, who are not uh, biased against Muslims without any reason uh, or not. If they read about the history of Palestine, if they educate themselves and they look at the events, what's been going on 75 years and how many Palestinians have died and how many Israelis have died, they would come to the right conclusion by themselves. I don't have to tell them anything. There is There is material, there is true education, there are books, there are movies, there is history which will teach anybody who is keen to learn about Palestinian issues objectively. It doesn't have to be subjective from me or from the imam. 
They have to educate themselves and they'll come to the right conclusion themselves. When you're talking about educating, are you talking about just historical education? What is the plight of the people? Because some of these Palestinians have seen it by themselves. They have experienced by themselves. They have experienced the misery of living there. They have experienced the humiliation caused by the army, IDF, and the Israeli army of moving from one spot to another, which usually takes five minutes. It could take them five hours to move from one spot to another, going from one village to another. So, yes, so that that is part of the education too, so that people know that this is their living in almost in an apartheid kind of uh, conditions, and uh, which is not foreign to the people. We saw that in South Africa, and we've saw, seen it in before. And at the end of the day, people who were resisting, even who were called traitors or terrorists, they come out on the top and they were the right people for the African people in, in South Africa. It was not the people who were calling them terrorists were the right ones. I think a lot of people who coming out of World War II and looking at a home for Jews who were displaced and... A general sense, let's have a safe space for Jews when there is no other safe space in the world. That's when Israel, or at least in 1948, yeah. So if, if you are so kind, you put them in your own house, not to snatch other people's house and put them there. So, so you know what I'm saying? I, I, mean, do, I, I do know yeah, what you're I saying. Can, I think that if the Britishers mm-hmm. and the Americans wanted to do that, or the Europeans wanted to do that, they should have done it in their own. They have land. So you, I'm not, so if you, if, if I'm kind to somebody, I'm not going to steal from him and give it to you if you need something. If I want to be kind and I won't give it to, give it to you, I'm going to give it to from myself. That is the proper way of doing it. So that just the idea, let's take these Jews who have suffered, understandable. We do not deny that. There was great suffering for the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean that you snatch from other people, you steal other people's land and give it to them. Do you just th- because you are in power and you're strong. More after this. When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer. You're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City Soccer so great. Longtime player, Laura Greb. We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. Do you think the very, and we're not going to solve this issue right now or go super deep into it, but I do think the heart of the conflict, is there a possibility for a home for both in that region of the Middle East? And I think 
the two-state solution has been talked about for decades and a shared Jerusalem. Is that impossible? Is that just something that just is not tenable from an Islamic standpoint, from the Palestinian standpoint? From Islamic standpoint of view, it is not impossible. Is but I don't see that coming from the from the Israel at this present. And if you listen to some of the presidents, um, I listen to even if you listen to Trump or even if you listen to Obama, they have clearly said that Netanyahu is not interested in a Palestinian state. If you take Netanyahu out of the equation and just take what maybe a predominant, a, 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 a majority of Jews would want to see. That is the most common uh, solution which has been propagated by the powers of the world. And I think it is possible. But I think the problem is that if we are not objective and if we are not just, and I meant by Americans because I'm an American too, and, and Europeans, if we are not objective and if we are not just to both sides, then that solution will not come through. And that's why it has not ha- happened. Let me ask you, Imam, is there a danger of people conflating Hamas with Palestinians, with people who practice Islam. What is your thought and position about where Hamas is, and at least in America, people maybe not understanding about the relationship between Hamas and the larger Islamic public? Actually, I want to talk with you about the point of view of Islam. From our prophet, peace be upon him, time. When he came to Medina, it's the city in Saudi Arabia. When he immigrated from Mecca to Medina, there is guests come to Medina, and actually they shared each other with everything. And you can just imagine that when he came to Medina, there were many Arab tribes, non-Muslims, many Jewish tribes, non-Muslims, and we have the majority now, they are Muslims how they live together in peace. You have the right to do everything you want in trading, even in worshiping, even about your church, or everything you want to do it. Just respect the rule, the law. This is what you have to do. So it's easy. Just be justice, as my brother said here, Dr. Khalid. Just be justice, be fair, and you will find the peace. Imagine yourself, my roots from Palestine, from Hebron, Al-Khalil. Just imagine in 1967, my father and his family and my mom and her family, all of them, they were kicked out from Palestine to Jordan. Just put yourself in their position. How is your feel? You will find it injustice. That's how your family became in Jordan, was being kicked out of Hebron. Yes. And Jerusalem. And Jerusalem. Do you think Jerusalem is really the crux of all of this? That if there was a way for Palestinians and Israelis, for Jews and Muslims to share Jerusalem, would that be the key to ending this thousands years war? The whole land is becoming an issue because everybody's not going to be able to live in Jerusalem, right? They, they, they may not be, live yeah. in Jerusalem, but it is seen Ju- as iconic. It Jerusalem is-, is iconic because there's, it is very sacred to the Muslims. They have the third holiest 
place for the Muslims. Church of the uh, Holy Sepulchre, yeah, everything is the, there. And the Masjid al-Aqsa, Al-Aqsa Mosque, that's the third holiest place after Mecca and Medina for the Muslims. And then don't count the Christians out. Christians have a very big stake there too. So I think they should be able to have a share too. So it's certainly m- much more complicated than simply Jews and Muslims. Yeah, and it, I think they could share that. But as I said, everybody's not going to be living in Jerusalem for Palestinians. It becomes a matter of their land, of their farms, of their houses. It's just that everything is being taken away. What is the role of local Muslims, local people who practice in your faith, to help present a salve over this conflict? I think the role is that all people should be educated, and they should, once they're educated, they should ask their representatives to enforce a just solution. What would be that just solution in your eyes? Look, the just solution would be that people who have their lands, they should go back to their homes, right? Would that not be a just solution? If there's going to be two states, then there should be two states based on some equality and some justice. But if you try to be unjust and force the solution for, yeah, it might last six months, one year, but it's going to be, you know, we've seen that 75 years. It's, it has escalated. It hasn't gone away, and it will not go away. Imam, what would you like our community at large to know about what your teachings are telling you, how people should react locally if there is any messages that you want beyond your khutbah. Our Islam is lifestyle. It's not just inside the masjid, or the mosque. It's lifestyle. It's a practicing. It's behaviors and morals we have to treat with all people, with all of our teachings in Islam. Some Muslims, they don't actually follow the exact teachings of Islam. For this, sometimes you can see some bad behaviors for example, we can't consider ISIS as a Muslims. They claim that they are, so they are Muslims, but their actions, it's against the Islam. This is not Islam, and this is not the Muslims' behaviors and deeds. We can't call that Al-Qaeda, they are Muslim. We can't call them non-Muslims, but they still they don't understand the exact teachings of Islam. If you want to see the right point of view of Islam, just follow the teachings of Islam from Quran and the Sunnah, Sunnah, which is the teachings, sayings, and speech, and deeds of our Prophet, peace be upon him. Islam in this land for 1,400 years ago, and you can make any research in the history, even in the books of the non-Muslims who talking actually in open mind about Islam, you will find none spot in any place and in any time that Islam ruled these places and you will find that injustice in these places or in these times. Always Islam following the justice. You mentioned that ISIS is not, you mentioned Al-Qaeda is not. Do you also extend that to Hamas, that they are mm-hmm. not Muslims? I told you, even I, if I said ISIS or Al-Qaeda, they don't follow the exact ruling of Islam, but I can't call them they are non-Muslims. They are Muslims, but they don't follow the exact teachings of Islam. They're following the understanding of their desires and whims. Would you extend that same sentiment to me, Hamas? Let me ask you that question. Yeah. Sure. A question for a question. Yeah. Do people who are occupied, do they have the right to resist? 
Oh, of course. Is there a UNO or is there a world order where there's people who are occupied, they have the right to resist? Of course. Uh, But resist can be interpreted in many different ways and can be expressed in many different ways. You talked about uh, the protest in downtown. That's resisting. Yes. So I think if killing of innocent people from either side is obviously not acceptable to anybody. Innocent people. Okay. Kids, women, whoever they are. I think that's below humanity. We have to respect that. But so from that point of view, yes, it's anybody who's doing that, it, it's not even in whatever shape and form, it's not acceptable. But at the same time, there is going to be, you know, for the last, since 2008, or since the, Gaza has been under control of Hamas, if you look at it, there every day there are people are killed, every day. So you can't expect people that you keep killing them and whenever they react to tell them, oh, they're anti-Semite, they're terrorist. There is going to be some sort of a reaction from people who are being treated that badly. So I think that's where we have to understand that. But at the same time, we cannot, you know, say that the fact that children and women are being killed, that they're justifiable. Even men are civilians. There's yeah. so, people talk about women and children. I think those are usually the, the number ones which come up because I think... You they know, embody the innocent. Yeah, yeah. Those, those usually because I think the men may be fighting or they may be resisting and they may fight. But I just thought it was interesting that when you brought up Imam, when you brought, brought up ISIS and Al-Qaeda, I think a lot of people think those are the terrorists, quote unquote, of yesteryear from 9-11 and that vapors of that and that Hamas people know that they carried out this attack on October 7th. And I was just wondering if you see them in the same light as they are Muslims, but not following the exact teachings of the Quran. Would you extend that in the way that you said that ISIS and Al-Qaeda were? Matt, that's uh, that's right. (laughs) Actually, you will not find any Muslim support the word of ISIS or Al-Qaeda. But now you will find many people around the world even non-Muslims, sometimes they call themselves Hamas. Why do you think that? Oh, I, I didn't know that. Why is that? Why do you think that? Or at least we are Gazian. We are Gazis, even if they don't... Gazans, you mean? Yeah. Okay. Let us leave the nickname. The nickname. Now, what is your task if there's anyone attacked your family, your babies, your men, your women, your other people? What is your task in this movie. Now you can see some Jewish people now here in the United States and around the world, they refused the behaviors of Israeli. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, we had on the march we had, there were several Jewish people there. Oh, I'm sure there were. There were several of them. And uh, let's be clear, even in, within Judaism, there's a big divide. Our uh, support we, is for the Palestinian people. We're not necessarily standing here and supporting PLO or Hamas or anything. We are here to support the innocent people. Uh, Palestinians who are being killed, who are being butchered, they are not Hamas. And, and their, their child, children are not less than American children or Jewish children. So where is the condemnation of, of the Israel? They've killed more than 10,000. I do think there is a condemnation, but I think people see, disregard the previous 75 years. They say Hamas started this. Yeah. People see just what happened on October 7th and saying Hamas escalated this and not Jews, but Israel's government is responding to that. I think that's what that when people want to be selective about looking at a window of time. So when you're saying about the response, I do think there is a global condemnation. 
I know that the, there's a rabbi in town who wants to reach out to you. It's a very progressive congregation and wants to get something yeah. going. Do you see a role here in our small little community for the Islamic Center of Asheville and for local Jewish leaders to come together in a certain solidarity around the human rights abuses that are happening around this? Yeah, I, mean, I think obviously it is, there is nothing wrong with yes. that. There is, it's all possible. But I think the most important message from the Islamic Center to all Jewish and all Christians is that, that there should be no violence against each other. Yes. We as a community need to live as a community. We need to respect each other. The, the conflict is not here physically. But yes, there are going to be conflict of opinions, but it should stay to that extent and should not be propagated beyond that. Is there anything we have not talked about around your congregation, about activities coming up, anything public, anything that you want people who are not part of the Islamic Center to understand about your people and your faith or just your activities here? I think for the public, I I would say, look, everybody is welcome, especially on Fridays when we have our congregational prayers. We used to have a lot of churches, uh, even some synagogue and some Unitarian churches. Their students, they have come and visited us. Some of the newer teachers who are training, they come here and we welcome them. And our message is that of just peace, educate peace and let people make their own decisions. And there is no hidden agenda here. There is no propagating of any sort of violence in this in this masjid. And our main activity is to teach our community about Islam and how to cope with these newer situations, these tougher situations, and these new in the modern times. Imam, I want to ask you to close this conversation. Do you feel at home here? Too much. <laughs> too much? Yeah. How so? What do you mean? Too much. Actually, I feel... More better. As I told you, with neighbors, friends, Muslims and non-Muslims, I'm walking in my complex, always, hello, how are you doing? How are you? Good morning, good evening. I feel in peace. Yeah, this is nice environment actually for me and for my family, my kids with me. Both my children, they are in high school and they have one in elementary school here in Oakley. They are teaching in peace and in nice environment, actually, yeah. I liked living here in Nashville. I want to thank our guests today, Imam Nasser Ostah and community leader Khalid Bashir. Our conversation happened inside the Islamic Center of Asheville. My conversation with leaders in Asheville's Jewish community happens over two parts, coming up this Wednesday and Friday. If you value the Overlook's place in Asheville's media landscape, please consider joining dozens of others who are supporting the show through my Patreon crowdfunding page. Become a member for as little as $5 a month. Visit patreon.com slash theoverlookpodcast. Our First Look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. 
Our theme music for the Overlook, Maker's Song, comes courtesy of the Asheville band The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on any social media channel at AVL Overlook. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook with Matt Pikin. Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, Please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash the overlook podcast.